Hi, I'm Sandy Cornish, Director of the Office for Justice, Ecology and Peace. With me today on the revolution of tenderness is Sister Veronica Lawson. Veronica is a Sister of Mercy and a Biblical scholar based in Ballarat. She was the first woman president of the Australian Catholic Biblical Association, but she's probably best known for her weekly reflections on the Sunday Gospel, which have a global circulation, and for her book, The Blessing of Mercy, Biblical Perspectives and Ecological Challenges. Published in 2015, it proved to be a valuable resource for the Year of Mercy. Welcome to the Revolution of Tenderness, Veronica. Thank you, Sandy. It's so good to be with you. Veronica, can I ask you to share just a little with our listeners about how scripture inspires your work for social and ecological justice? Sandy, that goes back a long way. I was fortunate enough to have an inspired teacher in Year 12 Religion at Sacred Heart in Ballarat, Sister Claire Forbes. And she was well ahead of her time. She read widely and she was aware of all the movements in the pre-Vatican period, particularly in the liturgical movements. She was very interested in that. But also she introduced us to critical reading of the biblical text. Then when I joined the Sisters of Mercy some years later, in 1962, the uh, professors from the Redemptorist Monastery in Ballarat, Claire was instrumental in inviting them over. She had a little struggle with the superiors to ensure that we uh, could have the, the Bible, not just the New Testament. We were, when we entered, we were asked to bring the New Testament with us. But then Claire uh, persuaded uh, the uh, congregation leader to allow us to have a Bible and to allow us to have Father Leo Brannigan who taught scripture at the Redemptorist Monastery and so he used to come over on a weekly basis now but I was blown away by all of this I, I simply loved it in my very first year of teaching it's not surprising then that when the principal asked for somebody to volunteer to teach biblical studies, which was being introduced into the curriculum, and nobody was really prepared to teach that, it's not surprising that I put up my hand to be uh, to teach biblical studies. I had done I had done some ancient history in my um, my first degree at Melbourne Uni. And so I was ready to learn and went to Melbourne and attended lectures given by um, biblical scholars from their theological um, colleges and so on. At that time, it was not possible for a Catholic woman to do a, um, a, a theology degree in Australia. And so a little later, after I'd been teaching biblical studies for sometimes biblical studies in French and Latin, I, um, I, was, I, I went overseas. When the Redemptorist Monastery was about to move from Ballarat and um, the, the Redemptorist students, not the, not the monastery, but the students were, they went to YTU in Melbourne when that was projected, then uh, the bishop asked um, 
our superiors if I could go overseas and um, and study theology and scripture in order to be able to teach at the teachers college uh, when I came back so that so it's part of me is uh, like how does it influence my my work for social justice social and um, and environmental justice uh, it's just part of me and uh, and it influences me in everything I do and I hope at least that's my hope. Such a Vatican II story isn't it? It's uh, so much of the history of the church and and how the religious women in this country were at the forefront of it and you bring this sensibility with you into everything that you do. That, that's amazing. Thanks Veronica. That's the hope, that's the hope Sandy. <laughs> Scripture scholars bring all sorts of skills to reading scripture that uh, us ordinary Catholics don't have, and part of it's about languages and language. In Laudato Si, Pope Francis says that we should read Genesis um, with an appropriate hermeneutic. Could you tell us what that means to a scripture scholar? With an appropriate hermeneutic. Well, now, that word hermeneutics uh, comes from um, Hermes, you know, the, the messenger the, branch. the messenger of the gods. And it simply means an interpretive stance. Your hermeneutical stance is your interpretive stance. And uh, an ecological, an appropriate um, uh, hermeneutic for reading the scriptures, Norm Harble, known to, known to so many uh, from Adelaide, a wonderful biblical scholar who were initiated the Earth Bible project and uh, his and work the season of creation. Yeah, like well, bringing that, getting, getting that the, the first the Lutherans and then and then uh, other churches to take um, to take that on board and finally with Francis we in. Uh, accepted and instituted uh, the um, season of creation within our community and it's, so we have a, we have a, an enormous debt of gratitude to uh, Norm Harbel and uh, the Earth Bible publications and the first um, was published in the year 2000 and in that is, are articulated the eco-justice, eco-justice principles that inform the the Earth Bible series. So those principles, Veronica, would be part of the hermeneutical stance. Yes, that's right. And so the first principle is the principle of intrinsic worth, that the universe, the Earth, and all its components have intrinsic worth and value. And I'll come back to that because Pope Francis is so explicit about that. And then the principle of interconnectedness is another principle of voice, of purpose, of mutual custodianship. We care for the earth and the earth cares for us. I mean, if you've had breakfast this morning, then you know how, how the earth cares for you. And and we care for the earth and the things of the earth. And then the principle of resistance that the earth and its components not only suffer from human injustices, but they actually resist them in the struggle for justice. So, so they're the principles that inform a, a, a an ecological hermeneutic. Now, when I use the word ecological, I'm talking about the 
the human and the other than human of social and environmental, which make up ecological. Ecological justice has to do with social justice, justice for humans and environmental justice, justice for the earth. So that's how I read. But then so it's, it's, it's not just another word for the, caring for the environment. It's a much larger, more integral Much concept. larger. And of course, of course, Pope Francis is wonderful on this, you know, talking about integral ecology. That's the human and the more than human. Yeah. So an interpretive stance then, uh, the ecological interpretive stance takes some of its... Um, some of the process from feminist interpretation in that it begins with suspicion mm. you know it begins with suspicion and the acknowledgement that uh, the biblical texts are a product of a pre-scientific human-centered and patriarchal world and and so it seeks to critique the elements in the text that might re-inscribe human domination as opposed to care for the earth. And it, it recognises that the text and most of the interpretations we've relied upon, Western interpretations, have an anthropocentric or a human-centred bias and that it'll be influenced by the traditional dualisms that pick culture over against nature. And I'll say a little bit more about that, perhaps about Pope Francis on that. Pope Francis is, uh, you know, in Laudato Si, he offers us a new teaching. A new teaching, he says, the second paragraph, I think it is, of Laudato Si, he says, this is why the earth itself, burdened and laid waste, is among the most abandoned and maltreated of our poor. I'd never thought of, of the earth as our poor. He was, I thinking I'm doing an ecological reading, you know, and I, the earth is among our poor. She groans in travail, he says. And, but then he goes on, and, and some of this is in chapter two, and then further on he says, it's quite explicitly, he says, creation has an intrinsic value, which is independent of its usefulness. Each organism as a creature of God is good and admirable in itself. So it has intrinsic value, not just utilitarian value. And and that is that that's that's an extraordinarily extraordinary new teaching. I love the way that Elizabeth Johnson speaks about this. You know, she talks about the um, the um, hierarchy of being that has been so much part of the of uh, of our psyche for so long, and we've thought of the. And she puts it this way: she says, you know, it was from the from the pebble to the peach to the poodle to the person to the principalities and powers to the prime cause. That was the way we thought about things. No longer can we think about it in that way. And heaven was intended for humans. And I've, I've been saying for years, I'm not interested in, in a heaven that doesn't have dogs, in a heaven that doesn't have dogs. But, but you know, and, and so much focus was then on the afterlife and not on this life. And it, it, all of this, I think, is what informs uh, an interpretive stance. I've hardly got to talk about <laughs> but, but anyway, the first thing is suspicion. So all of that, we suspect that it is dualist, that that 
the, the interpretations and the text itself will have an anthropocentric or a human-centered bias and that it will be influenced by these traditional dualisms that pit culture against nature. So the second step, uh, as uh, Norm Harbel articul articulates it, is identification. Mm -hmm. Reading uh, in empathy with having empathy with Earth. And that's where the, the, the principle of interconnectedness comes in. Uh, Norm draws attention to God's challenge to Job in uh, uh, in Job 28. Now, and uh, one of the verses that I love very much, and I link it with this Sunday's gospel, have you entered into the springs of the sea? You know, God talks, asks us, have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? That's verse 16. And that interconnectedness, that whole interconnectedness with earth, it includes, of course, the, the divine mystery, interconnectedness with God, interconnectedness with, with habitat, and with all that in, in, inhabit, with all that inhabits the earth, with other humans. And I, I like very much the, um, the title of Elaine Wainwright's um, commentary on Matthew in the Earth Bible series. She names her, she names her commentary, Habitat Human is uh, the, all of the more than human within uh, the habitat. So it's habitat, habitants, human, holy is involved in this whole thing. So an empathy with every aspect, with the, with the habitat, with the other than human, with the human and with the and uh, and uh, that deep connection with divine mystery, with the, with the holy. So suspicion, identification or empathy with earth and, and interconnectedness. And then the, uh, the next step in Norm Harbel's uh, understanding of an ecological hermeneutic is retrieval. That is retrieval of the, the voice and the agency of Earth. I'm not sure they're the words that he uses, but that's how I understand it. That Earth has agency. Earth so what does that mean, has agency? Oh, did you, I don't know whether um, you listened to the, or um, watched a, um, Catalyst last night. Yes, I did actually. Ordinary program. And, well then, that's, uh, we, we could see the agency of the penguins, of, of the, the, the the tiny penguins, the fairy penguins that, that came originally from um, Philip Island and came to St Kilda. And there they are building the nests and, and uh, finding their way back, going out during the day and finding food and finding uh, material to build the nests and bringing it back and so on. So, but we didn't always we didn't always attend to the agency of the other human eye. And all of these creatures, they're making decisions about their lives. They are, they are. So yes, exactly. So they have voice. We know that they have voice. And like you know, in the Psalms, they have they have the capacity to praise, to to sing the pray the praise of God. You know, all creatures declare the glory of God and we hear that in the Psalms 
And even like one of the passages that comes to mind for me is is Hosea chapter four verse three. Even the land mourns, and all those and all who live in it. You know, this is part of this retrieval of the voice of Earth and the agency of Earth is part of the business of reading it, reading the text against the rain. And you see that some of the um, you know, some of the elements of, a, of an, an ecological reading are taken from a feminist hermeneutic, feminist interpretation of the text. For some people, feminist is kind of a scary word. Um, but really, when you talk about a hermeneutic of suspicion, it seems to me like it's very much about um, reading a piece of literature sensibly by asking questions about when was it written, what kind of context was it written in, who was it written by, who was it written for. Um, yeah, so a hermeneutic of suspicion and a feminist hermeneutic um, these aren't sort of scary radical things no. this is what pope francis is doing in yeah. his social encyclicals exactly exactly he's wonderful on this another thing that in a in an ecological interpretation intertext becomes important mm. you know it's like the context is important the context of the text and it's no longer viewed as a text in isolation so we look for intertext and and they um uh, rub them up against one another, rub the texts up against one another, and, and it elicits something else. You can see I'm, I'm greatly influenced by Norm Harbel. He says, we are earth beings, not merely human beings, invited to read from the perspective of earth and from within this habitat called earth. So we're earth beings, not merely human beings. That's that. also really interesting, I think, in Laudato Si, because as you've been saying, Francis invites us to renew our anthropology. He also invites us to renew our cosmology. What's our place in the great web of being? That's right. That's right. And I think, like, when I think about the um, uh, Word of God Sunday, uh, it's a different. They're different readings because the date is changed in the Australian Church. Nonetheless, it's a very powerful gospel reading for for Word of God Sunday, the reading from from Luke chapter five, uh, when we're invited, we're invited, the reader is invited, the Simon Peter is invited to put out into the deep, into the deep. Trainer has written about this in his Earth Bible in his Earth Bible commentary, and he, he points out that water and earth are characters in this story, just as significant as Simon and his companion, companions on whom the story's focused. So he, he says, earth frames the story, and the people are described as being on earth listening to the word of God, and the word of Jesus is the word of God, and the disciples literally earth their boats at the story's con conclusion. They bring their boats back to earth and they leave everything to follow Jesus. Jesus sits on the water in Simon's boat a little from the earth to preach the word to the people. So he does that. Elizabeth Dowling, Sister Elizabeth Dowling, who's a biblical scholar also based in Ballarat, she brings this expression 
put out into the deep, this notion of the deep. She brings it into dialogue with the notion of deep incarnation in a little piece that she did for the Mercies. And she draws attention to the word deep, uh, the, the Greek word bethos, which is translated as the deep, and, it ha and the cognates in other parts of Luke's gospel. I would like to get you to, um, to explain a little for our listeners, what, is, what does this expression deep incarnation mean? People are kind of beginning to encounter it here and there, but uh, not all of our listeners will understand what does that mean. One of the uh, images of going into the deep, an image that she finds in, um, that she draws attention to in Luke is Luke 24, verse 1, on the first day of the week at early dawn, Barthios, they came to the tomb, taking the spices they prepared, the women. Now, in the original text, the women literally come to the tomb at deep morning twilight. Hmm. I mean, I think that's very beautiful. So they find themselves going into the deep, and the result is that they come to see with new eyes. Huh. So, and they receive the message that Jesus has has risen, and they go to tell the news to the other disciples. But the journey into the deep is an expansion, is an opportunity for expansion of consciousness. Now, that's a, how she reads it. I think that's very beautiful, and. and Sadly, the woman, the women's proclamation is not believed. But then Elizabeth goes on to say that the word bathos has another context apart from those in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, it can have an astronomical sense and refer to celestial difference, distance, celestial distance. So, so then she suggests that going into the deep draws us to contemplate a deep space and you know that the universe is expanding and our going into the deep of space is challenging us to expand our understanding and images of God whose creation is ongoing so all of that I think is um, is um, is a very beautiful reading of this of this Sunday's gospel so this is an example of what you were calling intertextual um, analysis, yes. rubbing the yes. two texts up together yes. as a, what does into exactly. the deep mean yes. in, in different texts? Yes. yes. So, so while the invitation to go into the deep, to, to put out into the deep, helps us expand our consciousness of the evolving cosmos and its creator, but she draws attention to the fact that we've come from the deep. You know, we're, 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 um, we're made of stardust and we come from the deep. And then, she doesn't say this, but, but uh, like the incarnation, when we think about the incarnation, uh, the divine taking flesh, the flesh that comes from the deep, the deep created by God, it's extraordinary. So coming back to, as you, you asked me to explain the, the notion of a deep incarnation, uh, that it was the Danish theologian 21 years ago, Neil Gregerson, he coined the term deep incarnation to refer to the words union with all of life within an evolving cosmos. 
and Elizabeth Johnson's are just... So I think this is also related to what um, Francis says in Laudato Si about being in a, a magnificent universal communion with all creatures. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. It's not a new idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's a new way of expressing it. Mm. Yeah. So Elizabeth Johnson in, in Ask the Beast, she says, deep incarnation understands John 1.14, that is, the word became flesh, to be saying that the sarks which the word of God became not only weds Jesus to other human beings in the species, it also reaches beyond us to join him to the whole biological world of living creatures and the cosmic dust of which they are composed. The incarnation, she says, is a cosmic event. Now, Dennis Edwards, um, uh, known to and loved by so many, he also reminds us the incarnation is more, is about more than the birth of Jesus and needs to be understood in, in relation to creation and resurrection. So we speak of, of deep incarnation and deep resurrection. He says in creation, incarnation, and his culmination in resurrection, God connects God's self to this world, to this universe, and its creatures, and does this eternally. So uh, putting out into the deep evokes um, all of that, it seems to me. Yeah, that, that gospel writing, while it is about relationship with the human, and it is about caring for humanity on the edge uh, it's it's about more than that it's about embracing the whole of creation now it has to go further isn't it yeah it is asking us to it is asking us to go further we I can stop at an idea of um, incarnation as God becoming a little baby but it's so much deeper so much more than that so 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 much so uh, I think one of the things that um, that Michael Trainer points out that is that uh, this is not just a uh, getting more fish, and it's got nothing to do with the uh, with a commodity for market. This um, this gospel and putting out into deep and getting uh, a lucrative catch. That's not their purpose. They serve to enable the disciples to be freed too, he says. These disciples no longer need to use the fruits of the sea for their livelihood, but they do. I find that very, very interesting. But, you know, they don't, they don't, uh, they continue. They leave everything. They left everything and followed him, yes, but they didn't, you know. They became, they did and they didn't. So I think that's, uh, that's really worth thinking about. They left everything and followed him, but they remained. They, they continued to, to fish. Yeah, the, the rest of the gospel. Well, mm. as, as we must as earth creatures, we, we have to sustain ourselves. So, yeah, the, the leaving everything, we can't leave ourselves, our being as earth creatures who need sustenance, who need to find a way of sustaining ourselves in this universal communion with all other beings. Yeah, so they don't abandon their fishing activity. 
they simply recenter their lives on the following of Jesus. Mm. I, I think that's a really very important lesson to take. They, but they and so they they undertake. What it means is it's putting out the deep. They they undertake to live out in their lives the pattern of Jesus' life amid the ordinary concerns of daily life. And, you know, the, the previous chapter, uh, which we've been reading in the last two Sundays uh, of Luke's Gospel, that's given us glimpses of that pattern, bringing good news to the destitute. The destitute, not just the poor, the, that word, uh, the ptokhoist is, is the destitute, release to the shattered and healing to the sick and the broken. And in our times, and this is part of an ecological reading, we're beginning to realize that the shattered that needs to be freed include the despoiled earth, the waters of the earth, the endangered species of both land and sea. So, yeah, it's, um, this, it's a wonderful story. It evokes the creation story of Genesis, where God's spirit moves over the face of the deep. You know, so it, it, it gathers us into that whole thing. We go back into the deep and it invites us to think about how we come from the deep. So um, it's interesting, you know, Peter hesitates and we all hesitate. I think that it, like there are so many parts of this that we can identify with. And, <laughs> you know, he's... he's um, uh, such an interesting character, you know, he's extremes, you know, he protests and then and then he goes down on his knees. He, does, he doesn't do it by heart. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I rather like that. And and then he's, uh, he's uh, you know, commissioned to engage fearlessly in a new mission of reaching out beyond his present business enterprise in order to, to catch people. So it's not a recruitment drive. I don't see it as a recruitment drive for the Reign of God movement, but it's it's a mission to bring the vulnerable safely to shore, where they can know the compassion and justice and the hospitality of God. And that includes the other than human, to bring the vulnerable safely to shore. It's very often used that passage to um, g people up for evangelization and recruiting people to participate in various church things. But that idea of bringing us, bringing all that is safely back to shore, that's that's really beautiful. Safely back to groundedness in the ground of all being. Yes, yes, Sandy, I like that. In the ground of all being, I love that connection there that you make yeah and and it's there that we know the compassion and the justice and the hospitality of god mm. so much to think about so much to think about and, and uh, so much to rethink too that things that have been very familiar to us that that you and so many biblical scholars and francis are inviting us to rethink and to re-experience and to be more um to come back down to earth as earth beings. That's right. And an ecological reading, a reading that's attentive to the human and to the more than human and to the divine, the same also looks at all the earth elements in the story. Do you know, look at all the earth elements in this story. There's the, there's the boat that is uh, that 
that is made from earth elements in a um, a social reading we may not attend to that in a purely social reading we may just attend to the human figures but if you look at that if think about the all that has you know the the trees that gave up their life i mean every time every time i um, eat fish i give thanks for the little uh, creature i do eat fish i don't eat much meat but i i, I eat fish uh, and uh, I find myself giving thanks for the creature that gave up its life. Mm, maybe not willingly, but it gave up its life. And, and it is part of that. Like one of the things I was, uh, I, uh, I was not aware of. I mean, I, I suppose I knew. I see the birds, uh, like eating the, the worms and digging. I see them digging for food. Um, in the in the uh, grass out here, but like eating other birds last mm. night in that uh, in that uh, catalyst program. That was confronting. And, yeah, I found that really really confronting and difficult. But they do. And um, one of on my way back from Ireland on one occasion, I went via um, South Africa to deliver some medication to the brother of a refugee friend, Isabel Gutierrez, for her nephew. And she got me to take this medication to, I I was able to get a cheap flight via Johannesburg. Fortunately lost my luggage, it went to Paraguay. (laughs) And, uh, And so I had, I was unburdened and I just went down to Cape Town, delivered this and, and met her family. And then I had three days before I got my flight back and I went to Kruger National Park. And the thing that impressed me was animals eating animals, actually seeing huge animals devouring other smaller animals. And, you know, and thinking about this, it came home to me that this is this is part of the of the pattern of life, giving up their lives uh, for the life of, of, of the other animal nonetheless uh, uh, we don't do it we I, I think it's so important not to do it mindlessly or uh, but to keep it within to keep the the destruction of other beings the, uh, to to value the, the the life of all being and not to engage in in slaughter of of the vulnerable but be aware of what we're doing and if we're consuming the flesh of other animals to do Mm -hmm. it with gratitude and reverence Mm. yes i love that way of expressing it too do it with gratitude and and give thanks it just seems to me that the most important word in the in the language in any language is uh, is thanks uh not to take it but if we need to take it but not to take it for granted which is a big cultural yeah. challenge i think for us in such a consumerist society and when we're so um so distanced often from the source of our food when you only ever see it in plastic packages in the supermarket to understand that an animal has given up its life for me to eat this is harder yes i think that's yeah so important that uh, um, those who uh, who spend all their lives in urban 
spaces. Children need to to be given other experiences to learn that where milk comes from and and so on, you know, even though it comes from almonds too. (laughs) (laughs) Almond milk, I heard somebody talking about that this morning. Well, we noted quite early in our conversation that everything is connected and our conversation has connected many things. You've been listening to The Revolution of Tenderness with me, Sandy Cornish, and my guest, Veronica Lawson. Check the episode notes for information on where to find more wisdom from Veronica. Thank you for listening.